Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-director from Rethink, Sue Heddo. Hi, Sue. Hello. You well? I am. Well, I know you well because I see you every day, but I just thought I'd ask because that's <laughs> the, the normal intro to the podcast. Um, so today, we're going to talk about, it's a bit of a year in review, 2022. I think talking kind of offline, we've it's a year of two halves almost if we're going to talk in football terminology. Yeah. So first half coming out of COVID, the new normal, which is the phrase that we very rarely hear anymore. Um, everybody talking about growth, everybody kind of excited, heading into the summer, thinking that, you know, spring, we're all going to open up, business is going to flourish. Then there's a war. So that takes us into the second half of the year, leads to hyperinflation, the whole energy piece, which is the time of recording, I think we we're at minus seven last night. It's clearly hitting everybody, unfortunately. Supply chain problems, so a real kind of polarized year for for any type of organization: retail, hospitality, manufacturing, us as a consultancy, um, whatever organization you're in. I'm I'm sure that uh, it's been roughly the same. So. I know you've been thinking about this before we recorded and, and you've got some clear thoughts. If we think about the first half of the year then, so we're we're coming out of a couple of years of lockdown, um, people are talking about what this new normal is. I think everybody's excited to be out and about again. There's a real sense of optimism. From the the general clients that we've been working with across all types of industries, what were the types of things that they were talking to you about and the conversations you were having? I think very much in the first part of the year, it was about how could businesses be expanding their capacity, particularly at peak times. So most businesses have got peaks. And obviously we've been in a context of during the year, there's been quite a tight labour market. So actually finding enough people to do the jobs when you needed them to was quite tricky. So part of that was driving people wanting to understand how they could do the core task quicker, what could they do differently, how could they find efficiencies, because there was a demand, an increased demand compared to what we'd seen the year before, and it was harder to find the people as well. So that was that was the two things that were at play then, which were really about want, people wanting to find better ways to do what they did. And was some of that underpinned by the fact that during lockdown processes had changed or gone out the window because people had just found a way to survive? If you're a maybe a, a supermarket, it, it had massively shifted to online and then come back with, with some of those things underpinning the, those conversations? I think some of it was just there's almost a cyclical way that people look at processes. So I think certainly while COVID was happening, there was probably less of the reviewing what people did because people just having to navigate either finding a new way to operate. We saw lots more um, pick from store, for example, lots more takeout, more home delivery. So I think people would, in while lockdown was happening, rather coping with constantly changing rules and also finding different ways to do things. And I think it was just then that natural cycle that then when you hit this year and it's starting to get busy, it was like, right, it's time to work out the best way to do it again. Because most people's operating model had changed quite a bit during the, the kind of two years since 2020. Yep. OK, got that. So first part of the year about growth, expanding capacity into peak. What else did you see in those those early months of 2022? Well, I think it set the tone of whether people were looking to find better ways to doing it because of growth 
Or then kind of there was that creeping realisation for all of us, I think, that it was going to be a tough year cost-wise. I think the sort of two drivers of wanting to do things differently merged. So actually, we just saw people realising that they needed to think hard about costs. And I think a lot of people were in a situation where they'd they'd already done the easy things. So and they, they weren't just easy cost savings to take that were easy to spot for them. So they wanted to do measurement and to understand kind of from a an evidence-based way, what was the best way to to address the business and where were the opportunities that, that perhaps they hadn't spotted, which is obviously where where we come in and, and where we help people with, you know, spotting those opportunities. And I think they came in a, a number of different ways. Um, part of it was people who'd perhaps grown by acquisition. So they'd got sites that did things different ways. And where we know as process people, wherever you've got variation, it means there's an opportunity to to reduce that degree of variation, increase consistency and save some cost. But I think people have also realised that you can't just stamp a, a way of doing things on places. When people have got kind of significantly different histories, the layouts can be different. You know, the, the whole thing about the operation could be different. So I'm seeing this year a smarter way of a, addressing where you've got different sites doing different things. So using measurement to identify what is the one best way and really to establish some principles so that they can then go back to the sites and say, well, actually, we know this is the ideal if this isn't quite where you get to because we understand these these principles and the different trade-offs and we've quantified them, then it means you can make the right decisions at a local level. So it's a much smarter way to, you know, right, everybody has to just do it the same way. And it's, it's a more nuanced way and it's that evidence base which really helps them do it. So I think that was one thing that we've seen quite a bit of. And in terms of acquisitions, mergers, my assumption is we're going to see a lot more of that as we ride through the next six to 18 months, probably six, 12, 18 months because of just the way that organizations are going to struggle for cash and therefore we've we've seen it recently with next mopping up jewels there's just going to be this um consolidation certainly i think in in retail and maybe some other sectors of some of the key players by unfortunately some of those others that, that tend to struggle which will just lead to to more of the examples you've just given Yes, I'm sure that will happen. And wherever you've got any turbulence, there is always a degree of business opportunity. There's risk and there's opportunity and there's, you know, there'll be people that are wanting to, it will suit some businesses to be growing at this stage. So yes, I think we'll see more of it. Anything else from the, the first half of the year when things were looking maybe more positive than at the time of recording? Well, to say whether whether it was the positiveness or whether it was having to you know being aware of costs for almost us the same it's the same outcome in that people want to understand where the opportunities are within their business and how long things are taking. I think one of the things we have seen it for me it's that theme of people doing things in a smarter way, so understanding where the opportunities are by measurement rather than just sort of um, something a bit more blunt and um, so doing things in a cleverer way. And we've seen more of people wanting to understand the whole supply chain piece. So from what do warehouses do that affects kind of stores or wherever they're delivering to, if there's things going back up the supply chain, how does that impact kind of warehouse operations and how they're delivered into them? 
but also there's been a real blurring between the channels. So we're continuing to see more retailers and, and you know hospitality outlets as well doing delivery from home. So that the whole online piece, instead of being in some separate warehouse somewhere, it's often in quite a number of different locations. So you've therefore got a customer-facing operation that's got both customers coming in and is, is serving online customers too. So I think those complexities have meant people have had to think hard about it. And I think it's a great thing that people are thinking about moving out of that silo thinking of just my little operating box. But actually, most businesses are part of a wider you know, chain of um, parts that, that fit together and understanding where are the opportunities that that affect another part of the business from what you're doing is obviously a very, you know, it's quite a sophisticated way of doing it. And I think it points to this fact that people have found a lot of the easy wins and are recognising there are these these opportunities by looking at the, the joining points between other parts of the business. And I think there's some great tech out there as well that helps you piece all those bits together in a more seamless way than maybe there was five, ten years ago. And, and I know you referred to it before, but I call it the ugly list. So yeah. I think lots of organizations are sat on that ugly list with decisions of how they tackle it. Um, probably some of them really tricky decisions, not particularly palatable, but we're at that state where you've got to uncover that, peel back the layers, understand the data, understand what's happening to be able to make those in an informed way. And I know as we kind of now merge into the second half of the year when the challenges really started to become prevalent and people had to face into them, um, management reviews, looking at leadership roles was lots of the yeah. conversation that I was having and, and lots of the data that you were analysing. Yes. So people wanting to understand the, the roles that are, attract a premium in terms of pay how much time are they spending doing those premium activities versus doing general activities? How many of them have you got on shift at any one time? You know, kind of, and but also thinking about what's the structure. And I think it it's partly a cost thing. It's also about, you know, it goes back to the tight labour market. And any business has, you know, there's always felt like there's a shortage of talent. There's always been an appetite to have, let's have more good people. And it's kind of how do you really make sure you make the best of the talent and do it in a way that gives people career progression. So there's opportunities. So things are, things are clear. And actually, it can be really frustrating if you become a team leader, but actually you're a team leader by name and all you're doing is everything that you did before, but you might get paid a little bit more and you might have a different name badge. But in reality, your job doesn't feel any different. So I think there is that recognition that, you know, to have a separate job, it needs to have differentiated targets, goals, different work content, so that actually they are separate you know, they've got their own responsibilities that are defined and are followed through rather than, you know, kind of, I think in his, historically perhaps businesses have grown by putting in extra roles or feeling there's a gap between certain roles and putting in things that to plug gaps or there's just been differences that have grown up in different locations and then they end up with a something that kind of when you look at it from a logical point of view you'll have smaller businesses with bigger management teams than perhaps a bigger business so we've seen lots of things that where things have just developed over time and I think it's been one of those you know I said there was a cycle in terms of it's time to look at productivity again after um, COVID again I think during that COVID period where people were coping and getting by and working out what to do that wasn't the right time to be looking at 
well, actually, how do we need to lead our business? But coming out of it and thinking about whatever landscape we're facing now, making sure we've got the leadership team that are doing what we need them to, to drive our agenda, to make sure they deliver what's unique to us about our customers, I think has been something that a lot of people have have paid attention to. And as you say, it's something that we've been doing a lot of analysis from. And it not only helps people understand kind of what role overlaps they've got, how much time people are doing the differentiated things. I think there's always amazing value comes out of understanding what's stopping people from doing more time on the things that really add value. So looking at things like um, admin time, looking at audits, processes that take a while, the double checking that people do, all that sort of thing. So I think to surface those things to an organisation so you can say, did you realise you spend this long? This is the cost of it. Is this what you want these roles to be doing? I think has been really valuable for a lot of people. Yeah, and in the context of, again, national living wage going up by 9.7% from April, those differentials of cost become a lot more significant. And I suppose a couple of bits I was thinking about as you were talking, um, I won't mention the organisation, but we have seen an assistant till supervisor, which is a role that always um, feels like role creation at a local level. And I I did a podcast earlier in the year, and it was as, as... probably in the more in the second half of the year in the first half as those warning signs were starting to come about maybe what was ahead in terms of i think the war had just started that was having an impact on supply chain there was then the talk about energy and and what all that yeah. kind of stuff means and and the guy alexis was talking about retaining your a players and it, it's kind of stuck with me because i've never really thought about it that way if you're an organisation that's hemorrhaging people because they're going off somewhere else for better working conditions, life balance, pay, whatever it might be, it's probably the A players that are leaving, the people you want. So what are you left with to run your organisation? And that that's yeah. stuck with me this year, actually, around those are the people that are moving in the market are the ones that you probably don't want to move if, if, they're, if they're leaving you. So, yeah, lots of challenges out there. Um Test and learn was something we talked about offline. So do you want to expand a bit about that? Because I think, although in the second half of the year, we've seen more of it, I think that's a real positive. Yeah, I think it is. And I say, for me, it comes back to this. People are looking at smarter ways of doing things. So so by test and learn, I mean, where people are either putting in a new service, where they're making a process change, where they're perhaps putting in some automation to, to reduce manual input. Um, they're getting us involved to do some really short, sharp, focused studies to understand what the impact of that change is. And they're using it in two ways. One, it, it validates the business case. So it proves, are we making this saving or not? So people are often doing it towards the start of a rollout in that initial phase. So before they press the button on the full investment, let's really check that we're getting the value, which is obviously a very you know sensible way to run a business. Why spend money and investing in new kit until you know it really is delivering for you. So big tick from that point of view. The other thing is when people get us in to look at it, we invariably find things that they could either do better about the implementation or things about the process, or it points to kind of further savings they can make. So I think it not only helps them prove that, yes, they've done the initial case, but actually it really helps them accelerate getting to that state where they're getting peak benefit from it quickly. So it's that kind of accelerating the benefits it gives them as well has been uh, has been great. 
there's some of my favorite studies to do actually because they're short and sharp you know you set it up you have a look at it you can see the change and there's always some extra insight that you're able to give people so uh, so we've done quite a few of them and I think again it points to people being really clever about how they're spending the money and making sure that they're getting the benefit and they're doing things the best way. Yeah, it reminds me of one that we did a couple of years ago, and again, I won't I won't mention the um, the client. It was out in Romania. There was a, a big ERP replacement system going in, and there'd been a massive business case off the back of a massive spend, rightly so. Um, the unfortunate consequence was that it actually took longer in the store stores at the start than it did previously and some of that was the transition from paper to typing it's slower to type in a pc than it is to write in a piece of paper but clearly there's lots of on benefits but the the big benefit again that always sticks with me is because they understood that in a very very small group of stores very early with help with some insight from us and their tech teams they avoided a kind of massive mushroom cloud when it landed in the rest of the stores with this problem, they were able to rectify some of it, make some changes to the flow, screens, speed of input, etc. So while it told them something initially they didn't want to hear, actually they took it on board, made the changes, and it was a lot smoother then across the rest of the country and other countries. So just kind of proves the power of understanding early and I suppose makes the point of sometimes it's going to tell you some stuff that you didn't want to hear, but best to know in a small control group rather than having um, rolled it out across the estate to then have to go and retrofit. Yeah. And it reminds me, there was an example one again, many years ago where um, a company put in automation. So it should have speeded, sped up the process. Actually what happened was the colleague just stood and watched the automatic machine working a bit like I remember years ago when my mum first got her first automatic washing machine to see it going around was kind of interesting. So, you know, the same thing was happening. There was no time-saving benefit because the colleague just stood watching the machine do the job that they'd done before. And actually it showed that they hadn't been given enough thought to, well, how do you help the colleague then work efficiently? So there was more work to do. So there can be a tendency to think, for all the effort to go into implementing the tech, putting the machine in, whatever it is, without thinking, how do we then help the colleague change the pattern of their working? Because if you leave, you know, all the colleagues across the country to find their own way of working around this new automation, you'll get something that's a lot less consistent and a lot less benefit delivery from it than if you say, well, actually, because of this machine, this is how you then work around it. And then we then roll that out. And alongside the piece about teaching people what buttons to press, you're also giving them the education about, and this is how you need to work differently. So, you know, it's it's um, there's always some big benefits to come out of those sorts of sorts of projects. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for those that follow the podcast regularly, uh, we've talked before about the secret Tesco store manager. Again, in the paper in the last couple of weeks, talking about how efficiencies have been potentially implemented, hours taken out but not realised. So all back to the point we're making, I think, about really understand what you're doing, how it works, where the opportunities are, maybe where the things haven't played out as you thought and be able to rectify those before you roll out on the big scale. Yeah. A cu- couple of other bits from me, I think, in terms of general themes from this year, just to run past you. Um, certainly in our big supermarkets, move to self-pay 
so self-scan or self-checkout, very, very few belted checkouts. Um, interested how that plays out over peak Christmas, if that means it's just big queues or we just force people that way, especially when the post office are reporting that we're using cash more than ever because it's helping people manage their budgets in the, the current kind of financial state we're in. Shrink. So lots of press at the time of recording yeah. around people putting barriers in and having to scan receipts to leave the store. Um, personally, for me, not a problem. Paid for it. There's my receipt. Scan it and go. Um, but but seems to be quite um, polarised in terms of customer perception of good or good or bad thing. I think uh, yeah. My, my view is if it if it reduces shrink then hopefully there's a knock-on longer-term effect in price because ultimately we all pay for the the price of things that are stolen in the day-to-day things that we buy. Uh, I think, I don't know if, I haven't seen any data on whether the barriers work. I, I also think about it from a customer experience point of view. And I remember when supermarkets first started, there often used to be barriers at the start that you had to go through. And, you know, there's a lot of people doing work on customer journeys and customer experience and kind of putting those barriers back in, it just forces a disconnect. And from a customer experience point of view, it's often what happens at the end of that experience that stays with you and therefore informs your experience of it. So it'll be really interesting to see how that develops. And I don't know if it actually does affect shrink. You know, one of the things that we advise people to do is how to strip out things that they've put in that kind of aren't actually adding value. So, you know, there can be double checks or audits or logs or all that sort of stuff that's gone in with the best of intentions to try and manage a risk. But actually it just becomes a comfort blanket that takes up time rather than actually delivering any benefit or there isn't a view on, well, what's the upside? What's the cost of doing this versus the the change that it's happening? So I think it's going to be interesting because wherever you've got, you know, having worked in retail, you know that if somebody's determined to steal from you, they will find a way to do it. And they'll always be, you know, I'll just carry a receipt then. You know, it's like if I'm going to go in, I'll pick a receipt out of the bin and then I'll I'll just get through the barriers. You know, there's, there's always ways to do it. So I think it's going to be um, interesting to see how it develops. So, yes, I'm sure shrink will will be a big challenge and forever in retail how many times do you hear like the security barriers going off at the at the doors and nobody goes to it you know so it's I find it interesting we put in extra deterrence and kind of shelf deterrence and all that sort of thing um it it, really interesting It, it takes time it's extra cost and then you know are we really do we really understand what makes the difference and say loss prevention isn't one of my big specialities. I just come at it from a customer and think you've got to think about the customer experience as well as kind of the, the the managing loss. I think it's that balance of when loss prevention becomes sales prevention. And yeah. and my examples recently have been um, Marks and Spencers, where they put the high value spirits. Um, they put paper boxes with the picture of the spirit on that you take to the checkouts. And I think Morrison's have, have locked up the spirits now. History tells us wherever you do things like that, what tends to happen is those empty boxes aren't replenished back to the shelf. So actually it looks like you're out of stock of a lot of stuff and therefore, guess what? You don't sell it. So again, yeah. in, interesting to see how that pans out in that balance of uh, loss prevention versus sales prevention. C- a c- couple of other things I think that have become 
trends and I suspect will, as we enter 2023, may become uh, even more difficult for organisations to manage. So clearly labour shortage. So Mm. seeing lots of colleagues in stores now in non-uniform or in agency uniform, um, putting stock out, etc., People closing stores early or closing stores full stop because of shortage of staff. Certainly if you're in these smaller convenience environments, much lower workforce and much more difficult to manage. Um, And also, I think thinking about if we close a store earlier, does that save on heating, lighting, etc. And and again, you'll know this example. We were in the centre of London on a Sunday. Won't mention the organisation again, but I'm sure you've all had a sandwich there. Uh, it was in the city, so uh, closed because everybody's not at work. And the menu boards were on, the lighting was on, the coffee machines were on. Yeah. So there's a good 24 hours of heating, lighting that that um, shop that has a zero benefit. So lots more kind of self-help, I think, was, was my point on there. Any yeah. Any other bits before we wrap up in terms of other trends you've seen? No, just a reflection. I think we're still going to see those same trends going into 2023. So, you know, the fact that for whatever reason there are, there's a whole mix of them, people want to be smarter about how they spend their time and resources in store, um, well, within their operation. And the easy stuff's done. So you've got to be measuring your business, measuring where the opportunities are to know that you're actually tackling the right things. Excellent. So before we close the final podcast of the year, a couple of updates from us coming in 2023. So from a podcast point of view, Sue and I are going to be doing some monthly productivity insights podcasts. So there'll be, there'll be one a month starting from mid January. We're going to be doing more regular updates with our friends at Springboard. So they go to Diane and the team always get great feedback from the podcast, great listening numbers. Diane also presents at our conference each year and it is always one of the the best sessions so we'll be doing more regular updates with them which uh, i hope you'll all subscribe to and listen to so that's about footfall then isn't it so it's about footfall trends and where customers are moving and absolutely how we're shopping all those other bits so yeah always always well received that brings us on to the productivity forum 2023 happening on the 14th september at the national conference center in birmingham Loads of people registered already, so we're we're kind of at 80% capacity. So you can register with the link on the website. We'd encourage you to do so. Diane's going to be speaking again, so looking forward to that. And we've got some great retail, hospitality clients that are going to speak. There'll be some panels, and we'll also announce new guests coming in early 2020, new speakers coming in early 2023. So if you want to come, if you came last year and you've not re-registered, I'd encourage you to do so because spaces are going. Are we doing anything else next year that I'm missing? No, I guess, although I guess the first thing we're doing is uh, we'll be in New York for NRF. So if there's anybody there and wants to meet up with us, we'll be there, won't we? Absolutely. So we'll be at NRF. We'll be showing our new Retime work study apps. So the new look and feel, you'll be able to come and have a look, have a play. So if you've got industrial engineers that work for you or in your organization, then come and have a look because hopefully we can help you speed up the way you capture data, the quality and the analysis at the back end. So yeah, if you're heading out to New York, it's going to be cold. So take your coat and your thermals, but it'd be great to catch up at the event or, or outside. So just drop us a note. Thanks for your insights, Sue. And we will be back in January with the first of our monthly productivity insights. Yeah, look forward to it.